Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. My name is Mark Hamilton. Before we jump to the podcast, I just want to give everybody a bit of a heads up that unfortunately, despite the fact that we had such an entertaining Formula One weekend from Australia, that both Daly and myself ran into a series of technical issues today. Daily's internet service went down. My internet service went down. We were both working off very, very slow internet hotspots from our phone, which significantly cut short the duration of the show. We'd expected we could probably go an hour 15, an hour and a half. We had so much great stuff to talk about. It is a little bit compact. We did get a great 45 minutes in, but I assure you that all of the great subject matter that we wanted to get to that we weren't able to discuss, we will save for our Friday show. So just wanted to give everyone a little bit of a heads up. If you feel like the show short, short changes you a little bit, but I assure you it's still great. But uh, we'll make sure we get caught up on all of the other topics come Friday. I feel like a locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona. Mixtape just around the corner. Did a lot in California. Can't wait to drop this on you. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like Songum and my songs gon' break through like a running back. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here to wrap up what was a wild and crazy weekend at the Australian Grand Prix in beautiful Melbourne. And it's been a wild and crazy day here in the Scootery F1 studios as Mark and I have been sitting here literally for the past hour trying to get this thing up and running. We've come together with some sort of I don't know, patchwork solution on my side and on his side. It seems that just nothing's working today. Mark, I can see you. I know you can't see me in the virtual studio. We can kind of hear each other, the makeshift audio thing, but you're smiling. After all this, you're smiling. So that's at least a a good sign. So how are you, my friend? Well, daily, I'm smiling because we had an eventful, entertaining Formula One Grand Prix weekend from Australia. I'm grimacing, though, because my internet service provider is down, meaning that, unfortunately, like you, I'm actually (laughs) recording this podcast while doing a hotspot connection from my phone. So, obviously not ideal, but we're committed, and we just have so much we want to talk about today. Where did you want to start? Well, why don't we just go down through the the, the race classification through uh, P1 through P10, and then we kind of break everything off, because there are a lot of different storylines to win that 
that went into this one. So on the podium, we had Max Verstappen from Red Bull on the top step, winning this one. Lewis Hamilton, second for Mercedes. Fernando Alonso was third. Lance Stroll, the second Aston Martin drive, was fourth. Sergio Perez was fifth in the second Red Bull after starting from the pit lane. Lando Norris ascended through the race order and was sixth. Nico Hulkenberg was seventh for Haas. Oscar Piastri, the young Australian rookie Australian driver, was eighth in his very first Australian Grand Prix, so good for him. And a double points finish for McLaren. Joe Guan Yu coming home ninth. And then Yuki Sonoda, P10 for the first of the two Alpha Tauris. Now let's just really quickly look at the constructor standings. And sorry, guys, we'll just have to wait a couple of days to do the Fantasy League because that is a shaky and so much dodgy uh, exercise. Of oh, the no, best I, of I have Fantasy oh, you ready do? to go. Awesome, I awesome. I do incredibly okay. of all the things we have fantasy ready to go. Okay, well, why don't you do that, and then we'll uh, we'll go back to the drivers and constructors championship before we dive in and discuss the race itself. So let let's hear who's who's on top. Do we have any changes in our fantasy? Actually, league? now that I look at it, I realize it hasn't updated. So I've got the page loaded, but it's not the most updated version. <laughs> <laughs> so our day of chaos continues. This the podcast today is as chaotic as the race. So I apologize. I apologize. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you continue hosting the show. <laughs> Okay, no worries. We'll, we'll we'll try and get an update, obviously, for Thursday night. Anyways, uh, looking at the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull 123 points after three races. Aston Martin 65 after three races. Mercedes 56. Ferrari 26. And then rounding out the top five, McLaren with 12 points. And now going over to the Drivers' uh, Championship on top, Max Verstappen 69 points. Red Bulls, oh, they're, they're both uh, obviously one and two as it's been all season long. Sergio with uh, 54 points. Fernando Alonso, a pretty healthy four, third place uh, in the uh, Drivers' at the moment with 45 points. Lewis Hamilton is fourth with 38. And then Carlos Sainz is fifth in the, or sorry, the Drivers' uh, Championship with 20 points. So, Mark, let's start this one off because uh, there are obviously quite a few different uh, things that happened right at the start of this race and it just kind of went all the way through from from there we saw the start of the race it was very eventful both well i mean we saw lewis taking the lead from or, uh, sorry george russell pardon me taking the lead from max verstappen lewis taking p2 before the, uh, the the first lap was out and then before we could even get all the way around one lap of albert park the safety car came out because uh, Charles Leclerc tangled with Lance Stroll, ended up in the gravel in that same corner where Fernando had his big accident there back in 2015 or whatever it was. And then, so we had several laps. Uh, well, it just kind of kept going. Uh, you know, <laughs> we had the safety car get back to racing. And then on lap seven, just a couple of corners later, we see a big shunt when Alex Albon went into the gravel and uh, hit the uh, hit the Tech Pro barrier. The car kind of sticking out of the roads uh, onto the track a little bit, but it was a lot of the gravel that went out, and they decided to red flag the race there. So seven laps in. A lot to talk about. First of all, Mark, that opening lap prior to the safety car coming out because of Charles' uh, accident, what did you make of that start by the two Mercedes drivers? Oh, fantastic. And I'll, I'll be honest, I sat here and I watched the race live. So 10 p.m., 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on a Saturday night, I will sign up for that every day of the year. That is just the perfect time to watch a Formula One Grand Prix. But the first probably 10, 11, 12 laps, it was it was absolutely thrilling just to see 
to see the two Mercedes battling with the Red Bull, and you knew you knew that that probably wasn't going to be a sustained battle and not something that we'd see till the end of the race, but it was phenomenal. And at any given point in the first 9, 10 laps of the race, in the first 9, 10 laps of the race, I was either cheering for Russell or I was cheering for Hamilton or I was cheering for Verstappen. I was just so emotionally caught up in, in the circumstances of the race. And of course, like you said, Alex Albon went off. He spun. Incidentally, in the sim, I have made the exact same mistake where I've tended to lift when I should be applying the throttle and spun and I've hit that barrier as well. Of course, it was red flagged and there was a little bit of controversy about that, but it was red flagged because the wall was damaged and you didn't want to compromise the integrity of the safety mechanism that was that that barrier but the first 10 11 12 laps man was absolutely thrilling and of course this was a culmination of what we had seen in qualifying and we probably don't have time to get into it now but qualifying itself was absolutely amazing at the very end of Q3 Max puts in this phenomenal 16 116.7 just demolishes the field and in the dying seconds of Q3 George Russell comes out of nowhere and he finishes P2, two tenths off of off of Max. And then Hamilton puts in a phenomenal lap. And of course, like you said, the race start was amazing because a little bit of an untidy start by Max Verstappen. And of course, George Russell absolutely pounces on him and manages to get the better of him leading into that first corner. Max Verstappen looked to go a little bit wide, tried to go around the outside, didn't have the opportunity. And then ultimately it ends up being a George Russell... Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, one, two, three, as we go into that red flag, when, of course, Albon clips the wall and they bring the red flag out for safety for safety reasons. And, of course, then we get an, another amazing restart. But at that point, at that point, Red, or not Red Bull, Mercedes, looking to be super, super aggressive, decide that under the initial safety car, because, of, of course, it was a red flag that transitioned from a safety car, they had decided to bring George Russell in to put him on fresh tires. Presumably, at that point, they were going to go on hards to finish the race. But then that benefit was negated by the fact that the safety car became a red flag. So when we restarted, it was Lewis and Max and George all the way down to P5. But the first 10, 11 laps, man, were absolutely Amazing. I don't know if you watched it live, but I'm sure my neighbors could tell I was watching the race. <laughs> my neighbors could also tell that I was watching the race because just like yourself, uh, I was getting very, very excited and really enjoying it. Uh, it. You know, I just kind of had that feeling, though, and I, I don't think I'm alone here, is that even though that George and Lewis passed Max on that opening lap, and despite the disruptions that we had with the safety car and the red flag with those incidents in the opening uh, laps of the race, that you just kind of felt that the, it, it wasn't going to last. And boy, when Max finally passed them, he opened up like, like a two second lead in what, like a lap, a lap and a half. Maybe it wasn't even that much. It was just absolutely bananas how quickly he extended that gap in the front. And then, you know, I, I think um, as we've seen at other times uh, during the season is that uh, he just at, at some point he just decided to back off and just uh, instead of opening up like a 30 second gap for example or whatever it is just keep them enough at uh, at arm's length don't push the car that you uh, more than you need to and uh, not risk uh, any you know not risk the, the 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 race victory but it's interesting right because we've been sitting here through the first couple of races of the season there's been a lot of talk and a lot of discussion not not just on, on this podcast but just in the f1 sphere in general of just how dominant red bull have been and are they going to walk away and take the championships 
uh, this year? And I think obviously the answer is yes, they still obviously have to be the favorites to win this championship. But were these the first couple maybe little signs that that the other teams obviously are not going to 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 lay down and give up with, without a big fight? Because it was exciting stuff. I mean, Mercedes and Aston Martin still not quite capable to fight Red Bull one on like one on one all the time. But maybe in certain situations, like we saw at the beginning of the race, that they are. And if that's the case, does that gap close over the course of the season to make the championship less of a, a foregone conclusion? Because at this point, like I say, Mark, you still have to think that Red Bull and Max Verstappen will are, you know, it's their championships to lose, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And I think the big takeaway from, well, there's a bunch, but one of the bigger takeaways that I had this weekend, both in qualifying and in terms of race pace, was that Mercedes seems to be in a much better position, I think, than we've been giving them credit for. And I think also in a better position, perhaps, than they're giving themselves credit for. Because if you listen to Toto and George, and especially Lewis, they've really been down on this car, on this package. And post-race, you obviously heard Lewis, he seemed to be psychologically in a phenomenal place. Uh, obviously very, very happy. Maybe a little bit surprised, but just ecstatic to to be able to contend and compete for a race victory. Really the first time, I think, since Coda last October. But I think he was in a really great place. And I think this probably speaks to the fact that you know, Mercedes probably went into winter testing and they probably understood already what some of the challenges they were going to have with the car are. And a lot of the developments and upgrades that are going to come were based on their understanding of where the car was a month and a half ago. So I think the Mercedes is only going to get get better. And I think what was really exciting about this race weekend is all of a sudden, like, and again, let's be honest, you had, you had no Ferrari in the points. You had no Ferrari in the points, but it was really great that despite that, you could have a really great battle between, and I guess they, they didn't really battle on track in a meaningful way, but at least in the race classification, you had a really great battle between Mercedes. And of course, unfortunately, George had that DNF. It looks like his power unit just let go. Reminiscent, of course, of Lewis Hamilton's V6 turbo hybrid letting go in Malaysia all those years ago with the flames pouring out of the back of it. So that was really unfortunate, especially from a constructor's perspective. But despite that, the Mercedes looked phenomenal. And the Aston Martins, of course, led led specifically by Fernando Alonso, just looked incredibly so, so, so racy. And it's so clear that Fernando has that car on the absolute upper limit of what's possible when you consider the aerodynamic and, and power unit package that the Aston Martin Silverstone factory have been able to put together for him. Yeah, and uh, again, those uh, really, really exciting signs to see that three races in, that um, even though, like I say, Red Bull is still that much uh, further ahead of everyone else, that the one thing that we can say is that it looks like we've seen improvements uh, from Mercedes, despite the fact that George had that power unit uh, failure on Sunday. But then also, I think three races in I, I think it's fair enough to call at this point that Aston Martin is legit I mean you could kind of make uh, the the argument in the first re or first race of the season oh maybe it was just a you know they they got lucky and then maybe you can kind of maybe stretch that a little bit into the second race but you know I, I've been maybe too generous to the skeptics here but I mean three races in they've been competitive every time they put those cars out on the track it doesn't matter if they're going out there in practice they're going out there and qualifying in the 
in the race itself. Whenever they go out there, they're demonstrating true pace. And apart from Lance's DNF in, in Saudi Arabia two weeks ago, they're looking pretty reliable a, 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 as well. And then just another big haul of points here in Australia on Sunday is just more uh, justification that uh, that this team is, is finally getting appointed in the right direction. And it makes it really interesting to see the Aston Martin or the Mercedes-powered Aston Martin fighting it out with the Mercedes uh, works team. And, uh, you know, we, we did uh, talk about that, that really clickbaity article about uh, Toto being somewhat upset and uh, the, or there's fractures in the relationship that that Toto has with uh, not just uh, with Aston Martin as a customer, but also the fact that he's also personally invested in the road car division. I mean, it was, you know, it was a bit of a, yeah, it was clickbait. So let's just be fair about it. But it is interesting, though, to see how Aston Martin is, has quickly kind of come and replaced uh, Ferrari in that conversation, who the top three teams on the grid uh, the, this year. I mean, quite clearly right now at this point in time, uh, through the first two races, it was, uh, Merce- sorry, it was Red Bull, Aston Martin. And then, you know, it was a lot closer between Aston Martin and Mercedes uh, the, this weekend. So that is going to be a fun, fun situation to watch uh, all season long, especially if both Mercedes and the AMs continue to improve. And if they can close that gap to Red Bull, I mean, boy, we could have a really, really exciting season on our hands. But until that happens, uh, there, there's, you know, there will still be some detractors and, and people that will be, you know, not happy to see uh, Max and Red Bull running off in the distance every race until, you know, let's just put this out there now, right now, Mark, that what if things flip around? What if Mercedes kind of catch up to uh, to uh, Red Bull and surpass them? And they start uh, uh, winning races again and dominating. And then all the people will be like, oh, Oh, we're back to this again. You know, I, I kind of hope that we could find a happy medium of, of parody and competitiveness rather than it all going one team's way all of the time, regardless if it's Red Bull, regardless if it's Mercedes, regardless if it's Ferrari or whoever it might be. All I can say is if somebody had told you and I on Thursday that the final race classification was going to be was going to be Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, and Lance Stroll, I think you and I probably would have been ecstatic. And not because we're favoring any one of those specific drivers, but you have three different drivers from three different teams on the podium, and that is always the best case outcome from a from a fan enjoyment perspective. And, and I know I was absolutely thrilled by that. And I think so far we've done a pretty good job of kind of summarizing what we saw. Qualifying was absolutely thrilling, and of course we saw a we saw a Mercedes on the front row, and we saw another Mercedes on on the second row. And then the beginning of the race was fantastic. It was really great to see the Mercedes tangle with with Max Verstappen. Of course, we had that restart, the red flag when Alex Albon hit the wall, and of course that was great. Of course. Strategy didn't work out for George Russell. Lewis was quickly overtaken by Max. And like you said, within within just moments, it felt like he was two seconds up the road, three seconds up the road, 11 seconds up the road. And it felt like at that point, hey, you know, we're going to fall into a rhythm and that this is also going to ultimately going to be a a Max-dominated Formula One Grand Prix. But then the final moments of this Grand Prix, and I I don't know if we're ready to get there yet because I think that's going to take up the balance of the conversation today. But I think I had kind of been lulled into this false sense of security by lap 35, 40, 45, 50 that, look, you know what? It's going to be a comfortable one, two, three finish. It's going to be Max taking a well-deserved race victory, his first in Australia, and I think probably the first Red Bull victory in Australia since the V8 era 
back in, I think, 2011 or 2012. It's been a very, very long time since they've won there. And like I said, Max's first victory on this track and something that he and I think Christian Horner were both very, very, very satisfied about. But then all of a sudden, at the very, very end of the race, everything is thrown on its head and we descend into pure chaos. With that, now would probably be a good time <laughs> a good time to kick it to a commercial. So we'll take a quick break. And when we get back, I'll kick it over to Mr. Daly and get his thoughts. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I totally agree. I felt that once we got into that middle phase of the race where we'd gotten away from the safety cars, we got away from the VSC, we got away from the red flag, that, that once things were established that apart from maybe the the, the, you know, the, the expected mechanical failure, the DNF of uh, somebody that just uh, has a reliability problem, apart from things like that, that... It, it felt like it was pretty much uh, settled. I, you know, I thought there might be a little bit of uh, action here or there on the track. I mean, uh, Sergio was certainly carving his way through the field and, uh, you know, like he was really clawing his way back up. And I, I think he deserves an honorable mention for, you know, his drive on the day, like starting from the back of the pit lane, surviving all that you know, chaos on the track in front of him and still bringing home some points from, from where he did. But at the end of the race there, I mean, boy, that, that really came out of nowhere. But it's interesting, before we talk about that, um, George Russell, who's also the uh, director of the uh, uh, Grand Prix Drivers Association, um, he was a little bit uh, critical about the, the, first of all, with the red flag, because, you know, that kind of like sets a little bit of like context, a little of framework for discussion we'll have here about the chaos we saw in the last number of laps at the end of the race. Anyways, uh, George had to say, quote, I thought the red flag was totally unnecessary. There was obviously quite a bit of gravel on the track, but there was a clear racing line. We've seen uh, it far worse in the past. It's sort of reminiscent of the decision last week in Saudi to bring out the safety car when the car was totally off the track. So I don't really know what's going on with some of the decisions at the moment. We're all trying to work together with the FIA to improve things, but it's seemingly a bit of a change challenge end quote so i'm going to disagree a little bit with that uh, comment that george made like you say the the tech pro par barrier needed to be put back together i mean i think there was a lot more gravel on the track than than you know when when i went back and looked at some of the pictures afterwards i mean 
Alex really did scoop out a, you know, a healthy chunk, a scoop of gravel that spread immediately across the track. And it was pretty scary, too. When you saw some of the in-car uh, camera pictures from, from Lance, from Nico Hulkenberg, who were the cars behind him, that uh, they're just kind of going through like a, a big puff of dust. And where they go through that, that really snappy uh, left-right sequence through those uh, kind of like really... Uh, you know, sharp or not sharp corners, but uh, really windy corners there that uh, they went came up on him pretty quick. And I mean, if that car was exiting the, the gravel a lot quicker, I mean, he could have collected one or both Nico Hulkenberg and, and Lance Stroll. But I see what George is saying that there was a racing line because when those two cars went through, they did kind of like clean up the racing line a little bit, but there was a lot of gravel, especially right by the, uh, you know, the curb there. And I think just in general that whenever there's any, any potential issue when it comes to safety, it doesn't matter if it's the safety of the drivers, the spectators, the track workers and marshals, you have to err on the side of, of caution. So as frustrating it was at that point after seven laps that we'd already been through an SC, we'd been through a VSC, and now all of a sudden, did I get the order of the VSC in there now? <laughs> because there's been so many things that, that after that race, I apologize, I would mix them up. But anyway, seven laps in, you know, we're, we're getting the full red flag, and then you're kind of like, Oh, come on, let these guys race. But I, I think ultimately that was the right decision. Now, we get down to the end of the race. K-Mag taps the wall. His tire, like the, the, the carcass of the tire becomes separated from the rim. You know, he starts uh, driving around on a Haas tricycle and that, uh, that you know, the carcass of the tire is just lying there on the track. They decide to red flag the race and, you know, that kind of like sets up everything. Like, again, you have to err on the side of caution. But, you know, I, I'm interested, Hammy, did they make the right call? Was uh, Could they have accomplished the same thing as, as even, you know, just uh, deploying a VSC or a safety car and even just delaying the field long enough just to, to send some track workers out there to to either clean it up and remove that rubber is am, am i oversimplifying it or was the that second red flag a little bit of an overreaction on the uh the, the part of race control what do you think so when you're talking about and i just want to be clear before i answer are you talking about the elbon induced red flag or are we talking about the lap 54 induced red flag I, i'm good with the elbon one i i think uh, i've arrived at a place where i'm comfortable with that that they made the the, the right decision because and I number just, one and just yeah. so everyone knows yeah. i i totally agree like i totally agree i i i if the FIA can do anything, it's to it's to lean on the side of caution, and I think they did the right thing because it was probably less the gravel, but more about the integrity of the barrier itself. And I think they needed the time to make sure that it was in a safe condition and it could be repaired to a condition where it could absorb an impact in the way it's intended to absorb an impact. Yeah, that's fair. Like there, there were the combinations: number one, the barrier; number two, where Alex's car came to rest, kind of half in the gravel, half over the back of the curb, and the gravel itself on the track. So I've come to a place where I'm comfortable with that the like the lap 54 red flag right at the end that kind of preceded all the mayhem and the confusion the good stuff that we're going to get into now is did they make the right call then or was that an overreaction it was so so you agree with me there there were other mechanisms they they could have done or other methods they could have employed that number one would have uh, protected the the safety of everyone involved either in the car out of the off out of the car or off the track and would have <laughs> in doing so would uh, have kind of avoided that utter mayhem 
and confusion. And, and maybe maybe there's a little bit of disconnect between us here. And I believe that with the red flag and the restart after that lap 54 crash where Kevin Magnuson clips his right rear tire on the on the outside of the wall that the rules were followed that the red flag and the restart was correct that and I I get it the messiness ultimately left a bad look on on Formula 1 in in the FIA and obviously the drivers are used to their condition to finishing behind a safety car they're certainly not used to finishing with a, a restart but this is the new protocol this is the new standard this is the new SOP this is how the engineer or the rules have been engineered because they don't specifically, and I'm talking FOM, and I'm talking the teams, and I'm talking the FIA, they don't want a race to finish behind a safety car that, yes, historically, that's exactly what would have happened with a couple of laps left. They would have just paraded the cars around behind a safety car, probably not VSC, but they probably would have paraded them behind a safety car. But ultimately, the outcome that we have is exactly what all of the collective bodies want to see. Now, there's a couple of pieces here. One communication, which I'll get to in a couple of minutes here, but I think what we saw was correct. The rules were applied correctly, but the controversy is less about the fact that there was a red flag restart, but more ultimately of the order that the cars were placed in subsequent to the restart, because of course the restart itself was chaotic. And I, I don't feel great for the drivers. They're going out there. They've been in the pe- the pits for God knows how long their tires are ice cold, but the main concern controversy of course was the final order which was ultimately what the final race classification is and I think the question is why take the positions back prior to the crashes right that ultimately the race order itself after the crash was completely different than the race order that exited the pits behind the safety car to conclude the race after that extensive after that extensive break and I was listening to Jack Aitken in the checkered flag podcast earlier today and they they did a really good job of summarizing so a lot of these are not my words and I credit BBC Radio 5 for this but ultimately what they said was was that the FIA felt that the red flag came out very, very quickly. So after the race restart, we're in turn three, we're on turn four, red flag comes out. And the FIA couldn't confidently, couldn't confidently assess or confirm that all of the cars were in the process or had completed their overtakes. They were ultimately in the process of racing. And the other piece too is we never got through the first sector. And typically, if you're going to red flag a race and restart again, you're going to use the racing order. But the teams, the drivers never got through that first sector. So there was no effective race order established that the most recent established race order was the restart itself. So even though that there's a lot of micro sector data available and there's a lot of intel that the that the FIA could have leaned into. Ultimately, they weren't confident that when the red flag came out, that the race order was in any meaningful way um, organized. That the, the, there was Lance Stroll was 50 meters off the track in the dirt. No micro sector was going to be able to help determine where he should go in the order. And again, the drivers didn't finish. They didn't finish the first sector when the red flag came out. So not only do I think that it was appropriate to red flag the race after that lap 54 
Kevin Magnuson issue, I also think it was appropriate that they ultimately brought the order out in the way they did because there was no established order after the chaos. And of course, there's all these other questions as well about like, well, you know, it penalizes the Alpines. I'm like, sure it does. Like what we saw was actual active racing. It, it wasn't waved off. It took place. And those right drivers are still responsible for and they're still liable for their actions when the race is happening. And I specifically mean Gasly taking out his team in an atrocious, an atrocious maneuver, which cost that team a bundle of points. And furthermore, Carlos Sainz, ultimately, he, he made contact with another driver and he needs to be accountable for that. And he was accountable through a five-second penalty. And you could argue that maybe that was a little bit harsh given the circumstances, but ultimately that was applied. So those still count. Of course, he tumbled down the order and tumbled out of the points. But I think my main point here is that I'm cool with the red flag and I'm cool with the restart and I'm cool with the way that things were handled after the chaos that ultimately the FIA simply decided to use the last known position on track, which just happened to be the restart. The restart was the last known organized order of racing cars. So I I don't know if you disagree. I, I don't know if you agree. Ultimately, it was chaos. It was a lot of fun to watch. I think the people that were in attendance, 441,000 people, by the way, at Albert Park this weekend, an absolute Australian Grand Prix record after the 420K they drew last year. Uh, they certainly got their money's worth. They got to see three race restarts. But I have no I have no issue for how any of this was handled. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because I, I was thinking about it after the, the race was over. I don't really have, like, any issue uh, about what they what they did it's just that it looked really messy but then again it was very very complicated it was very difficult to try and get that uh, that sorted out and i couldn't help help but uh, ask myself um, like afterwards and think well is is this even though this was worse than Abu Dhabi 21 because that that was just when Nikki put the uh, put his car into the wall and obviously it was more high profile because that you know, decided the outcome of a race and a championship. But this was uh, even worse because you know you had the red flag, that you had the restart, and then you had all the the mayhem and every all the the, the crashes going on at the that restart right at the end there, and it's just. It was an, an unfortunate time in the race because of the, you know, a lot of criticism I heard from people is like, well, why restart it when they did? I mean, you've kind of like broken it down nicely, the why, why they had to do it and why that was the correct thing to do. It was just like it was a difficult time to have the drivers do that after, you know, been through the, the grueling preceding two hours plus or minus in a Grand Prix and then this whole sort of stop again start again the fact that we've been through safety cars we've been through another red flag we have VSC all these uh, different things and then basically with one or two laps to go we're lining them up again to have a, a third standing start it was just going to be it, it was just a, the, the perfect storm for chaos right and that's uh, what what happened I mean Esteban Ocon was uh, talking about afterwards that uh, it, it was it, it was caused by what suicidal formula one drivers and rather than just uh, kind of like out and out uh you know you know calling his teammate out and uh and and laying the, the blame there i mean even though it was um it was what it was right so it was it just kind of set up for, for everything and unfortunately it, it looked a little bit i don't want to say comical but it was less than an ideal finish to the race, right? When um, after all, it was all said and done, 
that uh, we had one lap behind the safety car to finish it. But I, I think ultimately, once they figured out where everybody lined up uh, correctly, that it was it was the right thing to do because, you know, and I, I still find it, you know, hard to kind of reconcile the fact that, you know, I'm cheering for Fernando Alonso this year because he's like, <laughs> what are those guys? Oh, I feel you. <laughs> what? You know, like uh, he's one of these guys that you you kind of like love him and hate him. And like over the course of the 20 plus years, this guy's been in Formula One. I've loved him and hated him. I mean, I've gone back and forth so many times. But, you know, I've been really excited to to watch this whole Aston Martin project over the past couple of years. And this year, especially when, when you see that Lance and Fernando have a, a, a competitive car. And the fact that uh, Fernando, he drove a pretty good race. I mean, uh, he was he was uh, he was set for a podium. And you get that uh, that 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 final third standing start at the end of the race, and uh, you know they get off the the start line. They're going through that uh, series of uh, turn one to turn two. He gets uh, gets tapped from behind by by Carlos Sainz, who just obviously outbreaks himself and goes a little bit too, too deep into that corner. And Fernando, by the time he kind of runs off to the grass and kind of nudges up against uh, the wall there, he's basically at the back. I was just so upset that that happened and. I was just like, oh, you know, to 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 be there because if that whole thing hadn't happened with K Mag and then having the red flag and then all this chaos again, I mean, he would have been set for his his podium. So, I think what they did ultimately did restore the the, the running order. And after everything that we'd seen, all the starts, all the stops in the race, some of the exciting race that 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 we'd seen, it, it to me it looked a little bit kind of silly to have the safety car. But at the end of the day. I was I was I was more than satisfied uh, that that it turned out that way because everything else from laps one to fifty seven well, was pretty damn exciting and uh, I, I I could I could live with that. <laughs> I think we all kind of needed that that emotional kind of like uh, release at the end there, and I think that at that point I think we we're all like, you know what, Max is going to this one and he's deserved the win. Lewis he's going to get second, you know, highly deserving of that. Fernando was restored to get that P three, which he completely deserved as well and then carlos Sainz, uh you know he, he gets uh, penalized uh, for that and uh, he calls it the most unfair penalty ever he said uh he, he was on the uh, on the team radio saying no this is unacceptable they need to wait till the end of the race to discuss with me i'm just like I don't know about any other sport. I mean, if you get called for for a foul or a PI in football, for example, you don't go and discuss that with the referee afterwards. It's just like they make the call on the on the floor or on the field, and you know that's it. You're done. You don't. You there, there's no sort of like negotiation or arbitration here. It's just like you were you were found to have done something wrong, and you're penalized for it. And I could see why he was he was upset about it because he was on on pace for a good result there, even even with the <laughs> with the restart but I, I think it was it was completely justified in giving Carlos that uh, that that penalty as well I could have taken it I could have left it I I thought given the circumstances all of the drivers are being racy it's a restart uh you know don't penalize them penalize them I I get it but I I just I know I want to just kind of clarify something as well that while I think that the rules were applied correctly i I'm not saying I necessarily agree with them, but then again, that's a conversation not just about the FIA. That's a conversation with FOM and the teams too, that we would typically historically have seen this race conclude behind a safety car and the racing order would have been preserved as it was when 
K-Mag clipped the wall and shredded his wheel and his his tire. That's what we would historically have seen. But the outcome this weekend was exactly what the sport wanted to engineer, was they didn't want to see races conclude behind a safety car. So again, I just want to make sure that there's no... The FIA gets a ton of venom and a ton of negativity. Let's let's hold back here a little bit because they applied the rules as they were written. And if we don't like the way they're written, then I think that's a, a conversation for the tri-parties that sit down and, and craft the, the regulations that govern the sport as well. And ultimately, you know what? After they went into the pits, after the that red flag, um, ultimately it was appropriate to then kind of parade them out behind a safety car because you weren't really in a position to let them just go and race anyways. But I think if people take exception, and I'm talking about the teams and the drivers, if they take exception to the fact that there was a red flag on lap 50 or a restart, a red flag restart on lap 57, then those are conversations that they need to have internally because ultimately it did look a little bit messy and chaotic. And it was a great TV product that I'm sitting at home and we get another another restart on lap 57. And all of a sudden this this pre this preordained conclusion of the race which was going to be Max winning by 30 seconds followed by Lewis and Alonso all of a sudden anything can happen what what if what if Lewis pips Max on that first corner and and he storms away and manages to secure a victory after holding Max back because there wasn't going to be any DRS? Like that could have been the outcome. And I'm sitting there and playing all these different narratives out of my head. And like this could be a really thrilling conclusion. And of course, that's not what happened. We ultimately ended up with four cars that are out of the race, six cars that go in the gravel, and we just get pure chaos and we don't even get through the first sector before they call another red flag. Like that wasn't ideal. And I think that's one of the things the teams and the FOM and the FI are going to have to sit back and reflect on is like, if we're going to have these really late restarts on cold tires, this could be the outcome. And is that really better than having a race decided behind a safety car when the race order was maybe already kind of preordained or concluded or already in kind of that finalized state? So I, I have no issue with the way that the rules were applied, but maybe there needs to be a conversation about, okay, now that we've done it and we've done this super late red flag and the super late restart, is that really the way that we want Formula One Grand Prix to conclude? Yeah, I- I- exactly. And ultimately, uh, you know, I-, I keep asking myself was that, was this what the intention was after Abu Dhabi in 2021? And so I think that even though it looked messy, I think that it did work out properly. And ultimately, I don't have any uh, you know issues with it because, like you say, Max should have won. Lewis should have finished second. Uh, uh, Fernando should have finished third. And ultimately, I think uh, Carlos got the, uh, the the penalty he deserved, even though, again, it was another rough, rough, rough weekend for Ferrari. And again, you know, I mean, you know, Charles didn't look that great on that uh, that that accident that he had with uh, Lance at the beginning. I mean, Lance really kind of couldn't go where he was, and Charles just kind of came in and tried to barge his way around the outside of the corner and kind of really eliminated eliminated himself from the uh, the, the the race rather than anything that uh, that that Lance could have uh, done. Uh, I, I think he was just kind of like along for the ride, and. Uh, yeah, Ferrari and and Charles they continue to uh, to frustrate uh, a little bit. Okay, um, Haas they did uh, protest uh, the stewards over the uh, the the uh, Australian Grand Prix results that was uh, rejected by the stewards. So that's kind of like a neatly sort of 
possibly hopefully over and done with and then finally the promoter for the australian grand prix has been found in breach of the rules for the track invasion which you know all the fans storming the track before the race had been officially concluded and uh, in the first case that i think i've ever heard of that uh, a race organizer was summoned to go and see the stewards which was a completely completely bizarre mark absolutely and you could see a little bit of that on tv but again it's appropriate like that's a massive massive safety issue and you need to pres- you need to preserve the integrity of of the race itself so there's a safety piece but the integrity of the race and if the fia is going to clamp down on garage mechanics and team personnel climbing the catch fence next to the starting grid to celebrate uh, a podium finish for their drivers, then you absolutely need to make sure that under no circumstance does a single fan step foot onto the track. And we've seen that before. We've seen fans that are in the hospitality area start to walk into the pit lane towards the end of the race and potentially compromise the integrity of the race. So that's very interesting. I'll just add another point here real quick too that's a little bit unrelated but a great finish for Aston Martin, P3, P4. So Lance Stroll, of course, comes back after that well-documented industry industry injury, scores a P6 in Bahrain and, and follows that up with a P4 here after the DNF in Saudi Arabia. Not necessarily a great Grand Prix for Lance Stroll. And I think we're really beginning to see the difference in performance in Cape. And we, we always hear that phrase, it's all about the car, it's all about the car. But look... Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso are in the exact same car with the exact same power unit with all of the exact same tools at their disposal. And Fernando Alonso is just in a different league than Lance. And Lance, I think, got very, very lucky to finish with that P4, that P4 finish because for the entirety of the race, he was just he was just swimming at P6. He was stuck in the middle of that DRS train and it didn't look like he was willing to do or had the capability to do the things that he needed to do to separate himself from the rest of that field because Fernando is clearly demonstrating what that Aston Martin's capable of. And I think that the final race classification here, um, it reflected better on Lance. And like, I mean, if you didn't watch the race, you look at the race classification. Yeah, it makes sense that, you know what, there's a P3, P4 finish, but Lance was very, very lucky with the outcome of this race. And it's, it, it looks very generous. It looks very generous relative to his actual performance stuck in the middle of the midfield. And Daly, a couple of other data points and and notable takeaways from this Grand Prix that I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention. Three red flags today. The the most in any Formula One Grand Prix in history, according to ESPN. So that's pretty, pretty remarkable, especially considering it was a dry race that maybe you would have assumed three red flags in a wet Grand Prix with the chaos that may have ensued. Big shout out to McLaren today. This was obviously a big race for them. Oscar Piastri, the rookie, finishing P8. Obviously, I think that's probably a very special outcome for him to score his first points at home. And a big a big result as well for his teammate, Lando Norris, finishing P6 because you and I and I think the media have done a really good job of documenting all of the struggles that that team has had so far. Aston Martin, 65 points on the year so far. Last year, in 2022... They scored 55 points. So in three Grand Prix, they've already, already outscored their result from from last year. Another couple of thoughts as well, and I think this one's really sweet, but three world champions on the podium was super, super cool to see. 
And they all just seem to be very gracious towards each other. In fact, there was a quote from Fernando Alonso after the race. I tried to force a mistake from Lewis all race long. I tried to get close, but he drove fantastically well as the champion he is and no mistakes. And he also he also responded to a tweet from Formula One and gave gave Lewis a little bit of love as well. So some really feel good stuff here that I thought was was really, really cool to to see. Oh, and Lewis has scored a podium now in a record 17 consecutive seasons, which is obviously just an incredible number that speaks to his talent and his his longevity. And we talk about, hey, could somebody ever reach seven world championships again? Could somebody reach eight? Well, is somebody going to be able to have the longevity and the robustness to to continue an extended career long enough that they could score podiums in 17 consecutive seasons? I don't know. Daily, anything else you want to add? Any thoughts on my my Lance Stroll comments? I know I have been absolutely giving Lance the flowers the last couple of weeks, but I, I wanted to be candid in my thoughts about his performance this weekend. That despite it was a P four, it was a little yeah. Shy. That that's fair enough. And uh, can we just maybe put this one down to kind of karma balancing out because you know, with Lance's DNF uh, because of the mechanical failure in Saudi a couple of weeks ago, he probably would have uh, come home in a, a similar position in that race and through no fault of his own was denied that opportunity to to earn those points on that day. So just kind of. One of those things, like you say, totally flattered Lance and uh, Fernando is doing some awesome things with those car that with that car right now. I mean, could could Lance do the same thing? You would hope so. We kind of seen a couple of flashes here and there, but uh, just hasn't able to extract the same kind of uh, same kind of things out of that uh, AMR twenty. What is it, twenty three now? I guess it is that uh, that that Fernando is doing so. You know, he's uh, obviously got a little bit of uh, homework uh, to do and some goals to achieve um, before, well, before too much longer. Hey, Hammy, um, I don't want to go on too much longer because I'm afraid that the Band-Aid that we have on the virtual studio is going to fall apart at any any moment here. But one thing I did manage to do, I, I did manage to get the, the Fantasy um, uh, League up here. So I'm going to to update it. Uh, we've we've got a little bit of uh, you know some changes at the top. Um, I moved up a whopping four places because uh, I, I moved up from 411 to 407, but I lost a lot of points there in the chaos at the uh, the end of the race or potential points at uh, any race any rate. Pardon me. So uh, at the top, there's no change. Bengals Bub is still uh, leading the way with a thousand thirty three points. Charles C L is second with ten fifteen. Mr. Saucy Nug is third. Radio Check, I guess is the way you say it, or Radio Check, is uh, fourth. The Bad Guy One is fifth. Jesse H is sixth. Team BS, I'm not going to use the expletive there, <laughs> is seventh. Jeff Payne is also tied for seventh. Well, we've got a bunch of ties here. Um, L1, F1 is ninth. And then Nathan's team is a t- you know, currently P10 in our Fantasy League with an exact and nice round number of 1,000 points. So we're going to leave it there, guys. Apologize. It's a little bit uh, shorter than usual. But also apologize if it's a little choppy here and there because uh, 
technical issues are really kind of getting the, the the better of us today. So anyways, on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you for listening. We hope to have this all ironed out again for Thursday night. Um, and that being said, if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod or email us at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And also, if you want to support the show, by all means, uh, you can do so by heading on over to Apple or Spotify or any of those good places and leave us a rating review. And also because of a bit of the kind of the chaos here, I would be completely remiss if I did not give a shout out to the race weekend magazine who are very uh, big supporters and uh, you know partners of this show and all the great work that Magnus does as does Tease Roadhearts and uh, the racing exclusive.com. And Tease has uh, provided us with the amazing autographed Max Verstappen one half scale helmet to give away to one of those people in the top 10 you would assume in our fantasy league i don't want to i don't want to color any perceptions or or jinx anyone but uh that's what we got and that will come with a, a coa so again big shout out to, to tease and racing exclusives.com all the uh, unique and authentic uh, merchandise that uh, the tease has for sale up on the website comes with a certificate of authenticity so no you know what you're getting is not only top quality but a hundred percent legit so that's it i'm not going to push our luck any longer thank you for checking in guys we'll be back on thursday night have a great week and we'll talk to you then bye for now i feel like a locomotive sipping drinking arizona mixtape just around the corner did a lot in california can't wait to drop this don't you yeah they gonna have fun with that smash like song in my songs gonna break through like a running back